0: Now, perhaps you've heard the chestnut. That's preacher talk for a story that's been around a long time. The chestnut about the preacher preaching one Sunday in a small church on the subject of the sinless Savior. Each time he made the statement, there has only been one perfect man in the history of the world, namely Jesus of Nazareth. Each time he said that, a man in his congregation vigorously shook his head, No. And after the third time of saying that and having the man again shake his head, the preacher stopped his sermon and said, Brother, do you disagree with me that Jesus was sinless? He said, No, sir, I don't disagree with you. He said, Well, then, why are you shaking your head? He said, Because I know there were at least two perfect men in the world. He said, really, who is the other? He said, my wife's first husband. (laughs) Now, you've heard that story, I'm sure, and you know that there are people who are might near perfect. One such person in the Old Testament was Joseph, who was an upright person, honest, faithful Just a tremendous individual. Not much you can say negative about Joseph. People have called Barnabas the New Testament Joseph because there isn't much negativity about Barnabas. It's overwhelmingly positive. Indeed, the Bible says he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. When you're full of faith, you're full of the Holy Spirit. And when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're a good man or a good woman. The Bible says Barnabas was a good man. He makes his appearance here in the fourth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. We learn that he is a native of Cyprus. We learn that he is a person of means. We learn that he is a Levite, therefore a person of influence. It probably was about the year 30 A.D. that Barnabas makes his first appearance. It was just in the opening days of the birth of the baby church. People were giving property and gifts to try to establish their ministry there in the capital city of Jerusalem. Barnabas steps onto the stage and we see the first of his attributes, that here is a generous man. Here is a man that sold his farm and brought all the proceeds and laid them at the apostles' feet. Now, Jim Fleming says that that farm was probably, uh, if not near uh, Jerusalem, maybe even in the edge of the city. And because it was a large city in those days, as well as now, it would have been extremely valuable. Barnabas sold that property and brought the proceeds. His gift, probably more than any other gift, launched the ministry of the baby church. He is an outstanding individual about whom we should know as we think about the history of our faith. Indeed, Barnabas was held in such high esteem that there were others who aspired to have the same thing said of them that people were saying about Barnabas. One Ananias and Sapphira decided they wanted that prestige, but they wanted to take a shortcut. They announced to the whole church that they were going to give the proceeds of their farm. And so they sold it, but they brought only a part of it and gave it to the apostles. And you remember there was that horrible scene when Peter confronted them with their lie and both of them dropped dead. They wanted the prestige that Barnabas had, but they didn't want to pay the price to have that high standing. They're kind of like that little boy Someone said to him, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I want to be a returned missionary, a returned missionary. He wanted all the accolades, and he wanted all the glory, but he didn't want to pay the price to make it happen. So that was the attitude of Ananias and Sapphira. But obviously this man Barnabas had high standing in the church. Not only did he have an open hand in terms of his wealth, but he also had a warm heart because this man could always make room for other people to be a part of the family of God he was hospitable in the finest sense of that word indeed we read in the acts of chapter 11 that a revival broke out in antioch some lay people had been present there on the day of pentecost they were filled with the holy spirit And when they went back to Antioch, they didn't know any better than just share Jesus with everybody. They didn't know that up until this time, the church had been reserved for Jews only, that they didn't have Gentiles in the church. Well, they just took this gospel back to Antioch, and they saw people there, all kinds of people, and they said, let's tell them about Jesus. And they discovered that Jesus loved them too, and the Holy Spirit came on all of them. And when the church down in Jerusalem, that was a very conservative church, when the church heard that uh, the Holy Spirit was coming on these Gentiles, these non-Jews up in Antioch, they sent Barnabas up there to check it out. That was one of the wisest things the early church ever did. They sent the man who had the biggest heart of anybody in the New Testament other than Jesus himself. They sent old big-hearted Barnabas to check out the revival in Antioch. And what happens when he gets there? The Bible says uh, Barnabas saw the grace of God at work in these people. He just saw grace. And he rejoiced. And he rejoiced in what God was doing in the lives of those people. And he began to rejoice and the Bible says a large company of people were added to the number of disciples in that place. I, I tell you, they sent the right one when they sent Barnabas. He didn't bring any cold water. He didn't put any clamps on the revival. He just accelerated the revival. I remember when I was a boy how it was trying to build a fire. We had to take turns at our house uh, building the fire early in the mornings. Didn't have anything but a fireplace for warmth. And when you have one of those frosty mornings and you're standing on the brick of the hearth trying to get those splinters started and all you have are those flower sack pajamas mama used to make for us, you feel like you're going to freeze to death. I remember thinking so many times if I could just throw a little kerosene on here and speed this up, and and there were people who were permitted to do that. They could pour kerosene on there. Kerosene doesn't burn that uh, fast. But always, invariably, somewhere in our neighborhood every winter, someone, instead of throwing kerosene on the fire, they would throw gasoline on the fire. And it always made the local papers because it went boom. And they were burned, if not their entire house. There was always a huge explosion. Gasoline on an open flame is not what anybody wants. Well, when the early church sent Barnabas to check out the revival in Antioch, they threw gasoline on an open flame because Barnabas wanted to reach out and bring the whole world to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And just because these people spoke a different language, just because they talked different, they, they walked different, they looked different, they sounded different, that didn't matter at all to this Barnabas. He was a generous man in his relationships and in the giving of his wealth. More than that, he was a man who obviously had his ego in check. Now, everybody needs an ego. Ego is not a bad thing. If you don't have a strong ego, you can't say boo, let alone get anything done. You'd just be another Casper Milk Toast. You won't make any difference. You'd be like... uh, Uh, Mark Spitz, you can just go into the water and it won't even make a ripple. You can just, nobody will even know you're there, uh, let alone make a splash. Barnabas had an ego. His ego was strong enough that one day he stood up to the Apostle Paul. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But one day he stood up to the greatest missionary in the world, face to face. So he had an ego, but he had his ego under God's control. It was, it was an ego in check. Let me tell you what I mean. When that revival broke out in Antioch and Barnabas was in the middle of it, he recognized right up front that he needed some help, that he was, he was not capable of giving real leadership to that revival. You see, don't think about Antioch as a small town. Antioch was a huge city. It was the third largest city in the whole Roman Empire. Only Rome and Alexandria were larger. So here's a huge city and it's noted for its high educational level. Lots of PhDs in Antioch. Highly sophisticated culture. I've seen some of the mosaics that came out of homes built during this time and they are exquisite. Antioch was a well-established cultural center. Barnabas knew that he didn't need someone there who didn't understand the faith. He needed someone who was steeped in the scriptures and someone who could speak Greek as fluently as he could speak any other language. He needed the best educated person of his day. And who did he think about? He thought about this man Saul of Tarsus who had sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He said, this man can lead this revival. And so he went to Tarsus, and he looked for Paul. Well, you say, why did he have to search for Paul? Paul was from Tarsus, because Paul had suffered the loss of all things when he became a Christian. Therefore, he wouldn't have been living in his family's home. He wouldn't have been living with relatives. They would have rejected him when he became a Christian. And so this man Barnabas went all the way there. He searched for him till he found him, brought him back to Antioch, and it was just like that. Paul began to teach. They recognized the man who was not only on their intellectual level, he was above it, and he was steeped in the scriptures, and he knew Jesus as the risen Christ, Savior from his sins. And so there was a continuation of this great revival. In fact, it was during this interval that the people in Antioch first began to call the followers of Christ Christians. When you see a team like Paul and Barnabas, oh, you'd have to say they're Christians. When it started out, it was Barnabas and Saul. But before very long, it was Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas had become the saint in the shadow, no longer in the spotlight But his soul was sweet and happy. In fact, he was the one who put Paul in that position of prominence to begin with because he recognized his great gifts. Barnabas was a man whose ego was in check. He was not a celebrity. He was a servant. More than that, Barnabas was a man who believed the best about people. He just simply believed the best about them. In Acts chapter 9, we read where Paul visited Jerusalem for the first time as a Christian. Now, he had been in Jerusalem before as the grand inquisitor for the Sanhedrin. He was arresting Christians right and left, putting them to death. He held the coats. The coats were put under his feet when Stephen was being stoned. That means that Stephen was killed under the authority of Saul of Tarsus. He was a bad man. And when he came back to Jerusalem in 37 AD, well, maybe 40, because he had been three years in Arabia, when he came back in 40 AD to join the church, because he had discovered that you can't love Jesus without loving the church. They are tied together. Oh, maybe you can be a Christian and not go to church. It's like being married and not going home. I guess it's possible. But uh, he he, he came back to join the church. And and they said to him, we don't want any part of you, man. We don't trust you. This might be just some kind of subterfuge to get us arrested. We don't want any part of you. And we were in danger of losing Paul. But what happens? This Barnabas, who has such a standing in the church, stepped out there and put his arm around his shoulders, took him not to the disciples, took him to the apostles, took him to the, to the head council. And he said, I want you to know something. This man met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he told him about his conversion. And he said he's already testified in Damascus. And many people were converted. I believe in this man. Barnabas represented the church at its best. For the church has always been concerned not about where somebody has come from. We want to know where we're we going from here. Let's let all that iniquity be forgiven. All those sins are in the past. Let's talk about where we go from here. And when Barnabas sponsored Paul, the church accepted him, and from that day he came in and out, in and out, and was a member of the body of Christ. Barnabas believed the best about people. That got him in trouble with Paul because when they went on their first missionary journey, Barnabas said, let's take my nephew, John Mark. He wants to go on the trip. But when they got over there to Perga and Pamphylia and things were heating up and it was obvious that this was not just another pleasure trip, John Mark, who was quite young at the time, decided he heard his mama calling him back in Jerusalem. So he left them in the lurch and went back to Jerusalem. And now they're about to start on that second journey, five years later. And uh, Paul said, let's go. And Barnabas said, I'm ready. And uh, Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us. Paul said, "Uh uh-uh, no way. said, did it to me once, shame on him. Do it to me twice, shame on me. I ain't taking it." And so the Bible says there was a sharp contention between them. One scholar says that Luke didn't spell that out because Luke was such a devotee to St. Paul that he just didn't want to show St. Paul in the wrong. And so he just said a sharp contention between them. In reality, both of them had a point. Paul didn't want to trust something as important as the Christian mission to someone who was immature and inexperienced. And yet Barnabas, on the other hand, he he knew that John Mark had grown and he thought everybody deserves a second chance. And so there was a sharp contention and they divided their ministries. Barnabas took Mark and went in one direction and Paul took Silas and went in another direction. But it wasn't the end of their friendship. See, Barnabas was too Christ-like for Paul to let him go. They remained close to the very last. Barnabas was, was especially known as an encourager. Not only did he believe the best, but he was always encouraging. Indeed, his name wasn't even Barnabas. When Luke sat down to write the history of the early church, he knew this man's name was Joseph, but he'd renamed him Barnabas because the apostles had renamed him Barnabas. It was a term of endearment. It was a nickname. His nickname means son of encouragement. How would you like to live your life in such a way that when you come to the end of it, the apostles would say, call this one a son or a daughter of encouragement. Barnabas was always encouraging and rehabilitating people. One of our greatest. How in the world then can we sometimes have a critical Attitude. I, don't, I find myself sometimes looking at some beautiful work somebody's done and just my eye falling on the one mistake in the whole thing. I, we all are guilty of that. Some uh, good friend of mine came down this aisle the other Sunday. I preached a sermon I felt like the Spirit preached it. I felt so good about it. I couldn't uh, talk like that. The Spirit had done it. I was feeling so good. And, and somebody came down the aisle and waited 10 minutes to speak to me and shook my hand and said, uh, uh, didn't say a thing about my sermon, said, Pastor, you made a grammatical error. I say, wouldn't be the first. Which one did I do? I said, you said whether or not. And that's redundant. You don't have to say whether or not. You can just say Whether. And I said, what can I say? You got me. I'm absolutely dead in my tracks wrong. And, And what that did for me was remind me of all the times when people have done something really nice around me, and my eye falls on the one thing that they could have done better. I have teenagers who say to me, Pastor, I can't please my parents. If I clean up my room, they say, but your closet isn't straight. If I have a good report card, they say, what about that C? I know you made all A's, but you still have a C. If I mow the yard, the grass, they say, you mowed the grass, but you missed some by the garbage can. I can never satisfy my parents. They, always, never, they never give an unqualified compliment. It always has a hook in it. You know, Jesus couldn't deal with people like that. That critical spirit just tore him up. One day he he told a story and made the people laugh at him. That's all he could do. He said, how is it that you can see a speck in your brother or sister's eye and and you don't even see the two by four in your own eye? And the people laughed. That's the only way Jesus could handle those critical spirits. He couldn't understand it. He was the only, only perfect person who ever lived. And yet he saw everybody with a double vision. He saw them for the person they were, but he saw them for the person they could become. And he always encouraged the best. He looked at a Levi and said, Man, you can be a Matthew. You can write a gospel. He looked at a shifty Simon and said, You can be Peter. You can be the rock on which my church will be built. He looked at a Mary Magdalene. A woman with demons in her, and he said, one day, Mary, you can be in the stained glass of a great church with your red hair. You are a, you're going to be Saint Mary Magdalene. He looked at people who were in the pits, and he saw them for all their possibilities. Barnabas was like our Lord in that he was always rehabilitating people. Now, we don't know what his last days were like. But let me give you two hints about the last days of this Levite from Cyprus. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, said about Barnabas, Barnabas is an apostle. Well, in the strictest sense, no, he wasn't. There were only 12 of those. But Paul elevated Barnabas, saying he also is an apostle because of his Christ-like rehabilitating spirit Paul gives him that wonderful compliment of numbering him among the apostles of Jesus Christ. And then when Paul wrote his last letter, his last letter to Timothy, Paul's in the dungeon, he's about to die. He says to Timothy, Timothy, when you come to see me, bring that John Mark with me, with you, because he is so useful in his service to the gospel. You see, Barnabas had rehabilitated Mark, and now he's going to be a pillar in the early church. The next time you read the gospel according to Mark, you fall on your knees and thank God for Barnabas. And let us all together ask God to make us more like this man Barnabas, a son, a daughter of encouragement. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our hymn of commitment is Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Let's sing the first, second, and last stanzas. The first, second, and last stanzas. And let those who wish to join a fellowship of encouragement and give your lives in service to Christ, would you come forward as we stand to sing?